everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. Dr. Obi's back with us today. And so is Petros Kachupis, our frequent guest slash guest host. And in addition, we have Don Marty. Don Marty, who you, you may remember, has been on, on the show quite a few times. Don is, among other many, among many things, an expert in online privacy and especially issues like the California, the CCPA, the California something privacy act consumer i can't remember what consumer. The hard to Thank say that you. word the Sorry. california consumer privacy <laughs> act <laughs> i had to say the words confidential computing consortium several times in a row yesterday and i am my tongue is messed up anyway <laughs> thank you for joining us don especially at short notice we tend to we tend to ambush people here doc is great at that i appreciate that skill um, but before we get started i wanted to remind everyone to check out our website at reality to cast com. That's the number two in the URL where you can sign up for our newsletter that we occasionally send out. What we do, it's very good, I promise. And check out the links attached to each podcast episode and other things. So yeah, thanks y'all. Thanks for thanks for coming on today. It, again, a little bit short notice. Yeah, the, the the short notice is occasioned by Catherine asking me if I if I was using permission slip, and I thought. Do I need a permission slip to do anything? I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, and I knew the Consumer Reports is working on something like that. And um, in the spirit of everybody not knowing everything, I I didn't. And but as soon as I looked it up, I thought, oh, this is actually a cool app. And I downloaded the app, and uh, and I immediately thought, Don must know more about this than not only than me, but when than most people. So because he's been involved with Consumer Reports and Mozilla and other allied efforts. So Don, give us, give us the, you know, the, the framus on, on what, on, I guess two things. One is the context, one is, which is that it was occasioned by the California Consumer Privacy Act, which gives people the option to demand that their data not be sold, which is basically a way of saying, stop tracking me and all that stuff. Um, and people in California and people elsewhere will see that on websites that um, opt out of having your data sold. So anyway, I'm saying too much. You say, you say it instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, to get back to the basic legal level, there are really two kinds of privacy laws in the world. And most of the privacy lawyers out there are going to say, I'm vastly oversimplifying this. But from the point of view of writing code to uh, implement privacy tools, uh, there are two kinds of privacy laws. One is consent-based, um, like GDPR over in Europe. And the other is opt-out-based, like the CCPA um, and now CPRA, which is kind of the follow-up law uh, in California. So when they originally wanted to do the CCPA, some of the discussions said, well, hey, let's just copy GDPR in Europe. Let's require all the companies that want to use your personal information to uh, go get permission for it. And the lawyers went over this a little bit and decided, well, it's more likely to hold up in court in the USA, if we don't put in some new uh, consent requirement, but instead we create a requirement for an opt-out. 
And so that's that's where we got CPA as working fundamentally different from the GDPR. So the problem, of course, with opt-out is there are literally thousands of companies that have or could have your personal information. It would take you weeks and weeks of effort to uh, opt out of every company that you might want to opt out of, uh, even if you could get through each one with uh, just five minutes of work. And um, at the time they put CCPA together, they decided, well, in order to make opt-outs practical, we've got to add two other features. And one of them is a global privacy control, which is a signal that your web browser or some other piece of software can send that says, um, I'm a user who wants to opt out of stuff. So you don't have to do it manually. The other feature that was built into the law was something called an authorized agent, where you can sign permission for an organization to go and opt out of the sale of sharing of your personal information for you. So instead of having to go to each company individually, you would sign up with an authorized agent and the authorized agent goes out and, um, and opts out with a whole list of companies that they maintain. So permission slip from consumer reports is a front end to an authorized agent service. So the the authorized agent that we have, and there's been a lot of conversation about this on some other lists have been on, it is is sort of a very abstract concept. And and there's also it's confusing because some people call your browser's an agent, your email client is an agent. But this is an actual um active external instrument that you use that's provided by a company. It's provided by consumer reports. <clears throat> and it's this free app called Permission Slip. And you can use it to selectively opt out of um, the collection of data about you. You can ask them to get rid of all your data if you want. It's been interesting to me because I started using it yesterday. And, okay, I have a, CV, a CVS uh, account. I have a Home Depot account. I don't know if I have an AMC Theaters account. It's It, it kind of... You kind of flash through it like you flash through cards in solitaire to look at the different companies that might have data on you, which I guess are Consumer Reports' best guess that a lot of people might have these. Um, or maybe at the other end, Donna, you could correct me if I'm wrong about this. <clears throat> Consumer Reports knows that there's an instrument on the CVS end or the, or the Home Depot end where the lawyers there have set up a way to yank out selectively the data that you've asked them to yank out or not to sell or what else to do with, but it's almost gamified that way. But I, 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 I do have the feeling that there is a well-meaning agent that's working for me that, and that's a, that's a cool thing. I imagine we can have these things for hire, but yeah. this one's for free and the labor involved is really pretty low because it's all kind of automated. I use a paid service actually for something similar. I use something called Delete Me. We've had we talked to the yeah. Rob, the founder of Delete Me, actually. That's right. Podcast a while back, but this is interesting because it's free. It's it, it, the interface obviously is completely different, and so is the mechanism. 
but it's interesting. It was a good move on Consumer Reports behalf, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, a substantial and growing list of companies that Consumer Reports uh, has figured that a lot of people in California probably have an account with or um, probably have at some point uh, shared their information with. And of course, there's no way that to get the list to be perfect, but I think it's a good balance between retailers that that people actually buy stuff from, like Doc mentioned, Home Depot, and some of the lesser well-known um, companies in the shadows, like Oracle, which is, of course, famous as a database company, but they're also uh, a data broker who will sell information uh, about you. And the reason why we put that particular one on there is because I did something with, uh, called a CCPA right to know uh, hmm. with Oracle and came back with a huge file. They've got a lot of information on me. They've got like my income code, my neighborhood code, information about my family. Um, I'm a soccer mom of four. Um, <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> like there's erroneous there. things. Yeah. yeah like actually yeah. I'm thinking yeah. I lived, well, I haven't lived in Northern California for like 20 some 25 years almost, 24 years, but it still thinks I live there. (laughs) I'm not going to correct that, which is another interesting thing. Right. right? (laughs) Speaking of where we live, something that Don just said I wanted to mention, and that is people who live in California. So in their FAQs, uh, permission slip, it specifically has that, because I'm sure that's a question on all of our minds. And it was the first thing I asked, uh, I wanted to ask is, can I use permission slip even if I don't live in California? And they answer, they say it's permission slip is based on the CCPA, which defined new data rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the bottom line is it says if you live outside California, you can use it to send the request. However, your requests are likely to have a lower success rate and may take longer. So that's interesting. Yeah, because they're demotivated to deal with that. Right. Like, and, yeah. here, here's an interesting thing that I think the, these companies would like to know about. Um, I haven't hit Kroger on this yet, but I, um, when I, when we came here to Bloomington, Indiana, where we, we, I'm speaking from, there's a, there's a Kroger nearby and, you know, I wanted a Kroger, you know, that basically like most of these retailers, uh, the grocery retailers, especially they have a, they have tiered pricing. They have the, the real price for the members and they have a more expensive price for the people who are non-members. They say that's the real price, but it's not, it's the. It's a, an inflated price. And I looked at their terms and conditions, which basically say, we care about your privacy, bunch of paragraphs. We care about your privacy, bunch of paragraphs. And then way, way down, it says, oh, yeah, we'll, we're our third, we give everything to our third parties and they can do whatever they want with it. You know, and, you know, we're, our, our data is everybody's. And, and so I did what I think a lot of people do. And, Don, in his case, is a soccer mom for similar, right? <laughs> is, you know, I, I just faked up something. It was somebody else. And I, I get the discount. You know, I have to use their, I have a little key fob on my keychain, And it's the Kroger one. And it's got the, got the code on it and the, the barcode on it. And I never get any promotional materials from them because it all goes to a fake address, you know, but it's, but I get the, I get the, the price I want. But if they, if I have an agreement with them, that 
that's based on an opt-out um, of the selling of that data or the giving away of that data, I might be willing to give them my real address. I might be willing to deal with them in a more friendly way and, and, not, and not game them in that way. And I don't know whether or not there's eno- there would be enough of that or whether that kind of behavior is researchable enough for anybody to want to do. But I think it's a factor. I think it's a factor that, that fewer people will lie and hide if they have a sense that they have a genuine relationship based on a kind of trust that could get scaffolded up from this kind of, this kind of agency. A few things, you know, number one, am I the only one that uh, is under the impression that uh, Doc is recording from an underground bunker? At least that's what <laughs> I know. It is true. Yeah. It is that's true. So, it so for those of you who are not, we're all seeing each other because we're, it, but this is an audio podcast. This, I am in the basement of our new house built in a worker's cottage in Bloomington. It was built in 1899. And behind me on the wall, the, a painted wall of limestone, because you, you dig down two feet here and you hit limestone. And most of the state capitals in the country are made with Bloomington limestone. The, 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 um, the, the um, Empire State Building is clad in Bloomington limestone. And all of Southern Indiana is, is this kind of limestone. And uh, so it's actually, the, this wall is, is, I just visualize it for people, some of it is just rough cut stone and some of it is obviously milled stone that has, that has smooth surfaces and they're roughly rectangular that you know are cast off from, from the mining and milling process. You know, somebody dragged this home on a horse and buggy or something at that, at that time to the top of this what? hill. Num- anyway, my second, that's my second thing that I wanted to mention was, <laughs> you know, since since the start of this conversation, you're talking about memberships to, to anything and everything. And I imagine your wallet is about like four inches thick, full of cards <laughs> to all not. the memberships it, that you have everywhere that you, uh, you go. I know. I, I, and I know people who have, um, who have a wallets like that or, or just even a stack of things. You know, I mean, there are actually things you could buy that you would put in your pocket or your purse that have that. Um, and, but increasingly today, you don't have those. You just give them your phone number or you, you know, in, or in the a, long run, this, in the long run, this goes away. Number, but, right? Fake phone number or fake name. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it reminds me a bit of me. Whenever I fill out something like that, I, I use like a first name Joe, last name Mama. You know, just something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and it's, it's, it's of course a peculiarly high number of percentage of people were born on one one of some year, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's a, that's an easy one for them to remember, right? That's not their real, not their real birthday. Uh, Anyway, so Donna, I'm wondering where you, okay, this, this is a real big jump from this, the research that, and you may, you were, if you weren't involved with it, you certainly knew a lot about it, that Consumer Reports did where you could manually do what they're doing now. You could manually send something off. I tried it with a couple of companies and it, it got immediately into a morass where I'm hearing from their lawyers and you know it was pointless. Um, but there's a big evolutionary jump from that kind of experimentation to a real instrument like they have now in this app, which is only available on iOS so far, but um, works, um, to what comes next. And I think there are a bunch of different ways this fans out as 
possibilities? Well, there were two rounds of there were two rounds right, of research. That's right. uh, the first round the first round of research is giving people the instructions to go do CCPA opt outs um, or do not sell uh, emails manually. And Doc, I think you are actually signed up for both of the research projects. The second research project is we asked uh, a list of people to sign a permission letter giving uh, us as Consumer Reports the option to do an opt-out as an authorized agent for you. And that was kind of a funny project because we had a calendar of, well, we're going to need this number of research participants. Therefore, we've got to send out this round of emails. Then we're going to do a follow-up. Then there's this other newsletter that we can put it in. So we had all these rounds of recruiting participants for the authorized agent study. Um, we sent out the first email and the whole thing filled up right away. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to do any of the others. It was, it was incredibly <laughs> quickly filled up. So um, in that round of, of research, we went through the process of doing opt-outs. And frankly, a lot of the opt-out processes were completely broken. We got um, email bouncing. We got broken web forms. Um, in the case of one company, we actually ended up printing out all the opt-out paperwork and sending them a nice stack by postal mail. Hmm. Um, shortly after that one, um, that company came back and said, please use our new process. We fixed it up. It's all, it's all tricked out. Please use it. Um, because it turns out that, that here's a, here's a, a citation needed factoid is that it costs the average major corporation $40 per page to process paper correspondence that you sent to them. And of course we sent them a nice big <laughs> stack. Um, and so, so there's a, a big incentive for companies to go through the steps to get it right. And the, the recent announcement that just came out on uh, Friday, January 27th, is um, Attorney General Rob Bonta actually mentioned permission slip in uh, an announcement about Data Privacy Day. So that raises more um, more attention to the project and is likely to get a lot more companies interested in and, and motivated to handle these uh, opt-outs quickly. So it, just, it, it was just released and was it November? Do I have that right? October, November? It was, it's, it's quite new. Yeah. I've had the trial version for quite a oh, while. Okay. I don't remember when the official release was. Yeah. It's not on their homepage. I'm kind of surprised. And if you look it up, you get to their lab and <clears throat> it's not, it's not highly SEO'd, uh, put it that way. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know if that's just because they kind of want to let it dribble out there and, and do what it does gradually and iterate improvements on it or, um, you know, it's just not a top priority for them. I think it's a fabulous idea and I'm especially interested in what happens if some kind of critical mass of people start using it. 
a critical enough mass of yeah. people or a critical mass, if not quite a mass, but enough so that it causes companies to kind of rethink and then reroutinize the way that they deal with customers or where they look at loyalty or, you know, how it starts impacting some of their, their systems is that, I mean, is the cost of, is the cost of dealing with this stuff, uh, does that exceed the cost of, you know, giving people's data away and doing whatever else they do with this data? Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a precedent for this whole regulatory situation. And that was, um, a law called RICRA, uh, Resource Conservation and Recovery Act uh, from the 1980s. And RICRA was really interesting because it required companies that maintained hazardous materials on the premises to turn in a report to the EPA about um, oh, we've got this quantity of the following chemicals at this location. And what ended up happening with RICRA is so many companies had a random shelf full of random hazmat in the corner <laughs> that they weren't really getting much value from. It's, uh, it's like presidents having uh, up, <laughs> classified documents, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like it's like stuff stuff that can only impose a record keeping responsibility on you, plus possibly a cleanup expense if somebody spills something or there's a fire or an earthquake. So the result of RICRA ended up being not so much that companies uh, uh, started generating these huge reports on every random can of hazmat. Um, it's a lot of companies got rid of the stuff and they redesigned their processes to avoid having to report on all that that random hazmat and the the supermarket loyalty programs doc that you mentioned are a really good example because those programs collect way more data than the supermarkets actually use and at some point there's going to be a, a reevaluation of is it worthwhile to do all this data collection and regulatory compliance? Or since we have these, these regulatory and, and uh, other limitations on how we can use this information anyway, uh, should some of that investment go to other places? So you mentioned the, these uh, grocery store loyalty programs, which is kind of leads into something that I've been thinking about. And, First, I have to say, I, I, I feel like this sounds like a disclaimer, even though maybe it's not, but I think the permission slip app is a fantastic initial step. I think it's it makes this, this whole process so much more user-friendly. However, um, a limitation, and, and, and it's nothing, I, I, I don't even think the, the app could address this yet because the law isn't in place, but or there are, I don't know if there are laws in, in place, but there are 
certain things I'm happy to share with maybe a grocery store, maybe Starbucks. I want my points. I'm fine with them, you know, tracking what my orders are over time. I'm okay with the grocery store knowing that I like to buy this brand of milk or whatever. But like you say, they collect all of this unnecessary stuff. So the, my struggle is that there's, there lacks a mechanism for, for consenting to certain collection, but not other data collection. Right. And so it, it, when you, when presented with something like permission slip, it's an all or nothing thing. It's like, I, well, I delete everything from McDonald's, delete every, I don't need, I, I saw McDonald's. I don't, I don't think I saw Starbucks, but you know, delete everything from Starbucks. Whereas really I'd like to say, delete all the stuff that's creepy, but it's fine for you to track my lattes and give me points. Where, how do we get there? Yeah, I think, I think there's going to be a set of, um, escalation steps that people take with companies with different set of practices. So if you have an extremely basic loyalty program that tracks purchases, but it doesn't track your location, it doesn't do face recognition, it doesn't do all that stuff, um, then those kind of companies will tend to be lower priority for opt-outs. If there's a very intrusive set of marketing practices that does face recognition or or fine-grained location tracking or something else that people perceive as creepy, then those will tend to get more attention from authorized agents. So there's there's been a lack of focus on user research for understanding privacy norms uh, in, in the whole marketing business for quite a while. And it really shows a lot of marketing people are trying to come up with a single set of rules for processing everybody's data. And that's just not how it works. There are some people who like content personalization or would rather see targeted ads than general purpose ads. And I personally, as a privacy nerd, I don't understand those kinds of people. But they, if, if a platform gives those people the ability to turn their personalization on and gives the privacy people the ability to have the system reflect their norms, then people are going to be a lot more comfortable with, um, with yeah. trusting companies to use the appropriate information in the appropriate way. And I think it goes back to Doc's proposition that he makes you know, many, many, many times over that we individually need to be in control of our norms. We need to be able to broadcast. This, this is what I'm comfortable with and this is what I'm not because that does vary tremendously. Well, there's... Um, th- think about the way we deal with secrets, right? Um, yeah, you know... I, I tell any one of you a secret um, that's, you know, the assumption is that the other party is going to keep the secret. Now, we always we all know that how gossip works and doesn't always happen. But there's, a, there's an informal understanding in, in the vernacular of everyday life that the other party will keep the secret. That's kind of what we expect of companies doing with our first, with what they call first party data, it's actually first party data for us and a second party data for them. Either way you look at it, you don't want it to go to third parties. Now it's pro forma for them to s- sell or give it away to third parties, which is why we're in the 
the mess we're in now, and we have these laws and we have these instruments. And I was I was looking here at um, at the app, and and I advanced to Amazon. <laughs> the list of stuff that Amazon has, I and I I spend more with Amazon probably than than you'd like to admit. probably any other company. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I mean it's just that I'm, I'm overall probably that's the case. And there's identifiers, account information, demographics, financial, online tracking, physical characteristics, location, cameras and sensors. That's their cameras and their sensors, by the way, Alexa, et cetera. Jobs and education, purchases, social life, communication, and then other. So the interesting thing there is I mind I mind a little them having some of that stuff. I don't have an Alexa. I wouldn't have one. But um, I... I it's fine for me if they know a lot of stuff about what I buy. There's no problem with that. Um, I have a big problem with them giving it away to somebody else. The cool thing about this tool is it forbids the selling of the data, which the CCPA conceives of any of this shit. Like you, you give it away, you've sold it. That's the characterization. And, and that's fine with me. I kind of like, there's, there's a, an Occam's razor there, I guess there's a, but there's a sharp distinction between, the, the data they they need and they would like to have in order to better serve me as a customer and data I don't want them to give to anybody else. And that, as far as I'm concerned, it's not their business, you know, and that should be the default. And that maybe should be where we get at the end of all this is to kind of turn any data you're going to turn over to a third party into into a RICRA example of, of a has, uh, the hazardous waste that you have. And by the way, I have a friend who some of you may know, um, uh, who actually left Oracle in part because of its practices with that stuff. You know, hmm. better job somewhere else too. But um, you know, I, and I did not know before they told me that they were that Oracle was in that business at all. Well, if you're going to do a CCPA right to know, then I would probably put Oracle down as one of the top companies to start with. Mm -hmm. Oracle has lots of um, information about you and it's probably fairly interesting. Um, so far, I haven't met anyone whose Oracle data was particularly accurate, but there's an awful lot of it. Um, the other company that I would recommend for people who want to get started in the fun uh, <laughs> habit of CCPAing is Verizon. They've got huge amounts of data on um, largely mobile phone shopping habits, like intent to switch carriers, that kind of thing. Hmm. But also uh, some really weird stuff like uh, how much has this person uh, accepted the customs of the USA or something like that? It's really, um, That's uh, there's, there's really a lot of, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff in, in your Verizon data that, um, that is going to stand out. Um, not so much because of, it's like this kind of psychographic or attitude, um, uh, data, but the fact that it's just like a numeric code, like, I think there's likelihood of this individual to be an influencer on social networks. 14. How would they even <laughs> come to such, like, what data would they collect to, to come to such conclusions? I, I don't know. It, All of it. <laughs> All of, uh, there's some AI that they can apply to it, I'm sure. Yeah. 
they probably have some some vendor who claimed a, a mystical data-driven <laughs> solution that would attach a social influencer value to uh, uh, everyone they have a database. And all of a sudden, we're all soccer um, moms, right? <laughs> yeah. But who knows? What was Verizon? Who knows? Yeah. Colorado is going to be more interesting, though, because co- under Colorado's privacy law, they're not just allowed to send a, uh, a alphanumeric identifier for a data point. Uh, they actually have to send it in a comprehensible way. So um, I'm really looking forward to comparing notes with someone from Colorado. Um, can you please uh, get your Verizon data and let me know what all these mysterious numbers mean? Oh, I wow. Know if, uh, <laughs> I want to know if a 14 is good uh, for being an <laughs> online influencer. That's that's interesting. And I find myself, I don't have a, a Verizon account. I had one a thousand years ago, but, um, but I have T-Mobile and I'm wondering what yeah. their deal is as well. Oh, I've never had a Verizon account, but but Verizon has a, a lot of info on Really? It. Wow. Yes. So they can buy, buy it, some of it, I guess, all secondhand, or they, they, are, they are the end customer of a third party, or they are itself a third party for whatever. Well, um, Verizon Media is a Oh, thing. right, right. They ate um, um, and AOL, right? They ate AOL or something like that? Right. So Verizon at one point was owner of uh, Yahoo and some other companies that got lumped together as Oath. And then they changed the name of Oath and then Oath got spun off. So there's there's some some um, mergers and acquisitions type uh, uh, stuff that may be behind how these companies have all this information. Um, but really a lot of people, um, a lot of people don't have time to keep up with who bought who and who might have your information from what source. So you really, you really need an authorized agent to go out and do it for you. Yeah. I mean, it would be impossible to do this. I, I mean, it's not impossible, but it, w- it wouldn't be feasible for Without something like going back to the you know the original topic of this app, without something like a permission slip or or many of the paid services like I use and, and and there are others available I can't think of the names but it's just not feasible and that's that's the frustrating part or that has been the frustrating part and that's why I was that's why I pinged Doc about permission slip I was like oh did you see this this is great it's free you know so anyway but yeah that's that's the the, the rub is that yeah okay great there are these consumer protection laws but getting them actually exercised is a whole different thing. Your rights, I mean. Yeah. And and at the time they put the CCPA together, they did realize this. They did realize that you can't have an opt-out based privacy law without giving people the ability to use an authorized agent um, and without giving people the ability to use a global privacy control in their browser. And it's just taken the, the companies a while to get into compliance because a lot of them just uh, said, all right, fine, we'll just turn on our GDPR software for California too. And 
you can't get to where you need to be in California just by doing a subset of what you had to do for Europe. So I've done a bunch of experimenting using a VPN when I was in California, which is most all of January anyway. Um, and before that, I'm there about a third of the year, something like that. And it's interesting to me that there, you know, there are these companies like One Trust. I mean, when you see the consent pop-ups and all that stuff on your website, and if you bother to customize your your own opting out at that level, um, none of the sites are doing it themselves. They're hiring some other company to do that for them. So. And one trust is the one I think I've seen the most, or just the one I best recognize. And I'm wondering if they get into this game somehow. Like, wait, I think it just adds something to what they're already doing so that the CCPA opt-out signal goes to their gizmos and 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 they handle it. Because they're keeping the records, I assume. And I don't even know if they are keeping the records. There's no, there's no legally no way that you can go back and audit them. You don't have the mechanism at your end to audit them. They give you a cookie. You don't even know what the cookie says, and there it is. But but it might be a game for them. Yeah, and it it definitely is. And there's a project called Data Rights Protocol, um, which is another thing from um, Consumer Reports um, that uh, is intended to automate these flows. So. Right now, most of the time you use permission slip and uh, it's automated and super easy from the user side. But then from the consumer report side, there's some manual wrangling of web stuff and emails and spreadsheets and whatever going on. Uh, The next generation of this is to make things less expensive, both on the company side, including whatever service provider they use, like Wirewheel, OneTrust, whoever, um, and on the authorized agent side. So as, as the user base of something like permission slip grows, it won't mean more manual work for either the authorized agent service or for uh, the companies being opted out of. So check out uh, Data Rights Protocol, and yeah. I'll send you a yeah, link. Yeah, I just, I just put one in our chat here, but it's datarightsprotocol.org, all one word. And it's uh, Consumer Reports, Legal Hackers, and the MIT Media Lab working together. But I, I, Consumer Reports is in the center of that, so I imagine they're, they're the, the, main, the, main, the main outfit there. Interesting. Yeah, I... I, I I'm wondering it, where this ends up. I mean, because at some point there's a, um, it becomes normal for companies to look at and say, boy, the cognitive overhead and the operational overhead of dealing with all this stuff is pretty high. You know, it's not just that this stuff is a legal liability. It's this kind of toxic waste we're keeping in the back room a lot of which isn't being used. But boy, it sure is a pain in the ass to try and use all this stuff in a way, in the way we were accustomed to doing it when there was no pushback at all. When the pushback gets high enough, it's like, maybe maybe if we, I mean, I, I, I was point to this, but 
Um, you want to see how to do business? Just look at just look at Trader Joe's. They have none of this stuff, and they have and people love them. You know, and it's not a coincidence. The cognitive overhead of using Trader Joe's is zero, as close to zero as you can make it. You know, and and the people in there are incentivized to find out what they can about what customers are buying, but not getting personal about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the that's I guess one of the big misconceptions about the pathway to the post-surveillance economy. And the biggest error uh, about looking at this stuff is, oh, we need to balance the uh, privacy interests of users against the economic benefits of uh, surveillance marketing. And there are no economic benefits to surveillance marketing. Surveillance marketing is a negative sum game. Surveillance marketing investments compete directly with investments in content and investments in product uh, innovation. And the biggest example of this so far is mobile gaming, where some of the uh, changes by Apple to um, surveillance ads in iOS are having an effect on mobile game developers, which is instead of making a bunch of minimal least effort games uh, that they can then promote by exact surveillance ad investments, they're instead investing more in in-game content and gameplay. Um, in order to overcome the lower ROI of the surveillance ads. So mobile games and mobile game ads are kind of a fast moving economic laboratory for um, the advertising slash product innovation um, market. And it's really, uh, it's really interesting to watch this, uh, this change um, taking place there. And I think that as we see lower ROI from uh, surveillance marketing projects in, in uh, both within companies and at the venture investment level, uh, we're going to see more of that money flow into either product innovation, um, into process innovation that can result in price cuts uh, or into content. There were so many quotable one-liners in that. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. In the chat, I just said, we just said, I mean, it, it's such an, an important point that that there really is not an economic advantage to surveillance. You know, there and there are economic advantages to spending that money on many other things. It's a war on the, on the cost side of the balance sheet, right? I mean, it's not... Um, directly bringing in money. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, well, it's a it's a negative sum game where the results are very easy to measure short term, and so you can put up good ROI numbers for a surveillance marketing project, and um, it's relatively easy to use surveillance marketing uh, projects to. Uh, get investment, whether at the VC level or the intra-company level. Um, 
the problem with positive sum games like uh, product innovation and um, and creating new content is that they tend to be slower and less accurate to measure, even though they create more value on average. It's interesting what you said about the gaming, the mobile gaming, because I, I do kind of see that. I, I myself play a couple of uh, mobile games and I, I see the innovation, the rapid innovation and change and experimentation and, you know, trying to eke out a little more revenue. And, and I also appreciate what you said about basically nobody wins here with surveillance advertising. We all, he, we here know very well that it's not good for publishers and content creators. Um, it's, I don't see it as particularly beneficial for advertisers. And, and yet somehow we've forgotten as humans that, that there is another way to interact with potential customers. And, and you know, I hope to see that return at some point. Yeah. Well, just because it's a negative sum game doesn't mean that there aren't winners. There are companies that can drop ship a product from China and get it on Amazon and put up Instagram ads for it and make a profit at it. So, um, negative sum games still have oh, yeah somebody winners. wins but um, it's it's yeah. overall it's it's not a win it's still a loss so right right there's there's product innovation right now that is not happening because the money that should have gone to fund it has gone right. into a surveillance marketing project instead yeah, I, w- I wouldn't consider the individual wins certainly worth the, <laughs> the negative mm-hmm. impact on everything else that it has is there anything else y'all wanted to make sure we covered before? No, I think this is great. And I'm glad we I talked th- about the app. Yeah, I think this is great, and I and I hope, um, yeah, I hope we successfully promote um, permission slip. I think it's a great way to learn about what's going on, among other things. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's a learning tool, and I like I said, it's kind of gamified, and you and you get a different list. I, I read earlier the the, the long list that. At Amazon is a nearly as long list at Home Depot. There was shorter list. There was a shorter list actually at uh, at CVS, and I think that might be because, at least as I recall, I may be recalling wrong, but um, they're in the, you know they're in the medical business. They're they're a pharmacy to begin with, so one corner of their operation is busy observing pretty strong privacy laws. So they may be less inclined to do that. But the truth is that. It, it, frankly, it, it, it costs them money to have them ask you for your phone number at the, at the checkout every, all the time and for you to have to enter that kind of stuff. It, it's just a, and, and, the, and you know, what you get with their receipts and their promotions are, are ludicrous. I mean, they're, they're, they're not based on much intelligence anyway. They're, you know, discount on the toothpaste you just bought and you're not going to buy again for another two months. It's, it's pointless. Um, and, and yet it's pro forma. And at some point, that that proformation starts going the way of AM radio or something. It's just going to be like, wait a minute, the cost of this is too high. We're just not maintaining it. Yeah, yeah. And it really depends on people showing that they're harder to reach by surveillance advertising than by other methods. Yeah. So um, if you put in a bunch of privacy tools that make you completely invisible to third-party analytics. Well, the problem with that is 
according to third-party analytics, 0% of customers block third-party analytics. <laughs> um, so an authorized agent shows that you have these privacy norms in a way that's much harder for the, the companies to ignore and uh, harder um, for, uh, uh, for you to be completely invisible to them. I, I wanted to mention also, I'm going to include the link to the announcement um, that Consumer Reports made about this app, where they also mention that they're actively seeking feedback. So they acknowledge this is early and this is, this is highly dependent on user feedback and, mm-hmm. and, uh, to, in order to improve, you know, see, see what's working and what's not, et cetera. So I think if there's a, big, if there's a takeaway here is I, I hope that our listeners who are definitely the target audience, I think, for this app uh, will use it. It's, it's on its way for Android. I think it says there's a waiting list. And, uh, but also provide v- feedback. I think, I think we collectively need to be more vocal about our preferences and about our needs in this, in this area. So I hope that that will happen. I just noticed, speaking of feedback, that they list themselves among the company you can ask to, to <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those. And they have online tracking, including cookies, and they do track. It's one of the things that bothers me about them. Um, demographics, job and education, a, a, a list almost as long as Amazon's. And you can opt out of sale, which I will do right now, but I won't delete the data because if I've opted out of the sale, it's fine with me, them having all that data. That's, you know, I, not actually the, the tracking data, but if they're not sharing it with anybody else, that's all right. So there goes the request. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> and it, I mean, here's how it's gamified. I mean, one way it, it's now, it gives you a little progress in how they're drafting the letter, sending the letter. And then there was a it's third like check mark pizza. That, that went away before <laughs> McDonald's suddenly showed up as the next one. <laughs> you know? oh, so McDonald's opaqued, you know, uh, the, the last thing that they do. So that that's an interesting thing. Well, so yeah, you get, stay tuned. Get the next app. time get, we, get the we, app we and get play to hear about the and, results. Yeah, give them feedback. <laughs> They're, they're, they're an extraordinarily valuable company and extraordinarily valuable um, um, participant in the marketplace. So worth, worth your interest and support. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone. For, for, thanks, Don. And thanks, Petros. And thanks, Doc. And thanks, everyone who listened. Um, go down. Thank you for having me on the show. Go download the app. And thank, thank Don personally on the <laughs> side there for, for helping me.